again. We're back. Inside AV. Episode 5. Oh, 5 already. That yeah. means I've got to change hands. Cool. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. Okay, Keith. I, I don't count. really... I don't need I'm to counting. Know you. don't need to know your personal business. Um, we got an episode this time about uh, turning your iPad into... Or iPad 2, perhaps. I don't know. What is the difference? Uh, processor speed. Okay. And weight. Okay. So iPad 2 into a remote control to control normal IR components. Now, you've been playing with this. You, in fact, it's pretty much your baby. Um, so we're not going to talk too much more about it because there's an episode that follows that we recorded, once again, folks, a couple of weeks ago when we may have been mildly inebriated. But um, still useful information, I believe. Yeah. Semi-useful. We can probably bring it back a few more times. There's a few more things. Oh, it's great stuff. There's no doubt in the near future that um, the iPad and such like uh, don't don't think we're completely Apple uh, orientated. No, no, we accept that there's apparently another operating system and other tablets. I don't know what they're called or what they look like, but they're around. I actually heard this is news, a mm. bit of news for people. iPad three, they want to bring it out as quick as possible. Yeah, I, I, I've been seeing publicity along those lines. They're out to squash the Samsung. Mm. So yep. that'll be interesting. Well, it will be interesting because iPad 2 seems to be just about perfect. So I don't know what else you could do other than make it somehow connect USB devices to it. Although, of course, I have the little dongles to make my uh, camera attach, but I haven't even tried that yet. No, actually, I saw another dongle. I'm mm. going to get one of these. I'm mm. sure I'm going to get one because they're only on eBay and they're cheap. Yep. You stick it. Newsflash with... Keith shops on eBay. <laughs> Yes. He suggests that his customers shouldn't, but shouldn't. no. For you know, gadget, gadgets, cool stuff. Yeah. There's a projector you can stick into the bottom of your thirty <laughs> pin connector and turn your <laughs> iPhone or iPad into a projector. So no, so multimedia we, device. Epson and JVC. Out, out of window, business. Out yeah. of business. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 1080p. 3,000 lumens, 100,000 to one contrast yeah, ratio. Runs for five seconds on the battery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that long. Well, so you can't put the charger. Oh, it's on. Oh, it's <laughs> off. You can't because you, can, you can't put the charger in at the no. same time. Can you not double adapt it, maybe? You probably could. Oh, someone That'll be the next thing, a 30-pin double adapter. Actually, 30-pin 30 <laughs> 30 iOS connector to hub, uh, four-way thing. Yeah, that'd be good. That's got to happen, isn't it? Someone will do it. I think we might be predicting the future in the accessories world. Okay. Yeah, we are. Because <laughs> you've got all hoping. sorts. Yeah, but you've got a different shit going on in that connector. Yes. So you could potentially be outputting video, inputting audio, charging the battery, all at the same time. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, if we knew anything about what we were talking about. Yeah, instead of dribbling. Yeah. Um, I forgot our line where we started from and how we got to this point. I think we were going to suggest and remind for the umpteenth time that if you give us a, a rating or write a review of this rather mediocre interpretation of a podcast, we would give you a free CD. That's right. That is extremely valuable. $25 Australian, which is about $35 in American. It's funny how that gag used to work the other way around. Yes. Um... And uh, but we're now king of the world. 
You notice there's a lot of podcasts that are Australian as well. I have noticed that, but I've yeah. I've found out why that is. Ah, too. because we've got an Australian slant on the iTunes. No, no, because your account is regional. So that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's regional. Yeah, yeah. So when you search for podcasts, you you automatically get regional. Uh huh. Mm. Not to say we can't get the other ones, but very rarely do you get ones from Europe or UK or. Oh, actually, there's tons of BBC ones and tons of. Oh yeah, there yeah those ones come through. Yeah. Anyhow, we won't get bogged down in iTunes. I mean, you don't have to go to iTunes to download the podcast. You can go to the website inside av dot com and get it there. Plus photos and handy hints and very little else. Um, oh, we've got trade secret. Did you have one? Oh, I was wondering how you run a cable through a wall for those do-it-yourselfers out there where you can't get to anything. What and sort of cable? There's a whole bunch of trade secrets for that. And I'm not sure if they, I think they're all common sense because it's not rocket science, so to speak. But, okay, how do, you, how do you get cable up a wall, Keith, that you can't drill a hole in the noggin? And there's already a cable there. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. Well, mm. quick. I try not to use live cables to pull up other cables. Oh, I've done that though. Yeah. So, no, I'm not live. I've switched them off. At the yeah, video. but I'm not going to recommend that well, to anyone. I, I almost uh, almost said that I'd done that for a second, didn't I? What I meant was the electrician that I had employed to work with me on that particular day <laughs> did the work for yeah. you. Yes. <laughs> um. There's the. You can tie it on and follow it up as in join the two cables together. Mm. Always a good idea to have a, a drawstring attached as well, mm. just so that you can bring it back. Yes. Um, or if it does get jammed halfway. You when can... you say string, do you mean like a piece of cotton or cotton reel or something stronger? No, I like to use, um, I think it's called builder's string or bricky's no. string. Ah, yeah. Bricker, yep. Bricky's line. Yep. It's it's a good piece of... It's more like cord, I suppose you'd call it. Mm, that green set colour Yeah, stuff. fluorescent colours it comes in mm. yellow green mm. orange it's probably the most used for pulling cables up and down the wall mm-hmm. um so what are you saying you disconnect the you pull the power point off the wall oh sorry you pull the end yeah pull the better to use an antenna leader or an existing speaker cable or something low voltage hey yes i probably wouldn't use a data cable because you'd probably bugger it in the process but yeah, you've got to be a little bit careful. Yeah. I don't like being stretched. No. So maybe use an antenna cable, piece of coax, whatever. You know, we're talking about stuff that's currently already fitted off on the wall and you want to get an extra cable up there. You're going to undo the wall plate, unscrew the cable yes. and tie on and then get your assistant, perhaps a, a relative who's come over for a Christmas party, to climb up into the ceiling <laughs> and pull, pull the cable, the cable through. Mm. Yeah, that's... Basically, it. I would say though, you you want to make that connection between the two cables as close to the original thickness of the cable that you're trying to pull up. <laughs> so what you're saying is, don't try to pull three HDMI cables up with no. one uh, Cat Five cable. No, there's not likely to be that sort of space <laughs> <laughs> through the noggin up into the roof. No, that's good advice because. Um Generally, uh, a Leckie's will drill maybe a 19, but more likely a 25mm hole. But generally, they don't like to drill out more wood than necessary. No, that's A right. 19 is more likely. 
three quarter inch for us American uh, listening folk, or our American listening folk. Um, yeah, yeah. Tra- other trade secret to go with that. Mm. It's not a fun job. Ah, I'm not sure that that's a trade secret. I think that's no, just I... a fact, a given fact. Yeah, particularly so, in our summers here. It's probably one for the trade to do. Actually, you got in the roof the other day. Uh, yes. How hot do you reckon it was? Um, it was close to 45 degrees wow, Celsius, but it hell. would have been about 98% humidity up there. there she was, had a nice swim. Well, there was like little clouds forming. <laughs> you could see them. <laughs> I don't do that anymore because I'm a puss, but um, yeah, I remember it well. Um... The other trade secret... Oh, God, I've, oh, I know what it was. I was going to... Um, back when I do, did a lot of work in ceilings, I always envisaged or imagined it would be great to trade a, train a ferret. And you could tie... Like, if you were trying to get... Um, it was at the time when I was doing a lot of running down external walls between, like, framing and brickwork. Yes. And you get all the, you know, the rough course workers, sort of all the uh, mortarers all hanging out into the one-inch cavity or whatever's there between the framing and the um, masonry. I always imagined that you could train a small ferret to run down there. Yes. With a... With a... a ferret. With a string tied on. I wonder why that never took off. Well, you could sell them to electricians and uh, data cables. A trained ferret. A trained ferret. And you just tie on your cable. We tie on your, your pull line. Yes. And it runs down. Well, it doesn't sound too bad of an idea. It seems like a plan to me. I always thought it was a pretty good idea. Um, we should put a link on the... So I bought a ferret. You did? Mm. And I just couldn't get it to do what I wanted it to do. That's a complete lie. Um, no, it's, it's a good idea, though. Wouldn't work. You could train a um, carpet snake. They get into roofs. Oh, dear. Don't talk about carpet snakes. Had some fun with carpet snakes in roofs, Keith? Um, no, but we have just recently had nine, ten baby carpet snakes in the V-Jed. In the where? In the V-Jed. The V-Jed. Feed. Oh, <laughs> where the feed. That Landsborough accent's getting a bit thick. Oh, I can quite get it. What, in your feed shed at home? Yes. Really? Yes. That is cool. Can I have one? You could have. Oh, you... They're all gone out to the bush somewhere now. They have gone to the bush? Yes, we did take them to the bush. Probably oh. a lucky kookaburra's probably got a couple. Oh, that's a waste. <laughs> have Do you know a... how much they sell for in uh, the pet shops? I don't know. Have you got a licence? I could get a licence. Was... I've got a printer. Actually, that's what I said to Jane you should put up there. Accountant, horse rider and snake breeder because that's the second lot we've had. Is that right? Yeah. Not, how many did you say? Nine. Nine or ten, I think there was. Little baby. And how, what size is a baby carpet snake? About ten centimetres. Well, they're not big, are they? No. Wow. Very cute. Hmm. A lot of people don't realise how long they take to grow. Bastards that swerve to run over a carpet snake on the road that's six foot long, that's probably about, I don't know. And I know nothing about carpet snakes. Why are we talking about carpet snakes on an electronics broadcast? But I think no. I think that would at least be five years old and more like ten if it was six foot long. Yeah, they take a while. Yeah. 
They're a bit slow. They're not really yeah. active little animals. They're slow in every way, and that's why you should run over them. If a snake can get out of the way on the road, that's because it's a venomous snake, and I don't care what you do with it, really. But as far as uh, non-venomous, they're that slow moving. They're hopeless. Now, let's get back to uh, iPads. Um, well, we'll... Um, we'll take a break, I think. Yeah, we'll... Well, well no, well, the break is straight... Boom, straight through to the... Um, Okay. iPad business. Bye. Bye bye. I uh I was um I like the iPad. We're gonna go Apple. I'm not gonna go Apple, I'm just saying I, I like the iPad. I like its smooth exterior and its shiny finish. Um, I believe you've been uh, talking and experimenting, talking to people and experimenting with using the iPad to control devices similar to you would say a Pronto tablet. Remember the old days when we used to have Philips Prontos and handheld remotes, Nevo, uh, Nevo uh, handheld programmable. Nevo, what happened? Oh, Nevo's gone. They're gone. They're gone. Pronto, hmm? gone. gone. I've wasted ten years of my life using those. No, good remote, though, of course. Brilliant remote. But Philips decided to, uh, perhaps wisely, uh, expire that product line. Yes, because of, really, the... Well, you got your iPad, your iPod Touch. you got your iPhone that you can turn into a remote control. You've even got Android, so we talk, we're not Android experts. So What's an Android? That other tablet-based system. No, I've not heard of that. Um, I've got an eye hat. <laughs> hat? Yeah, I have. Explain that one. No, I can't. It's rude. So, um, so you've you've, yes, you've I, experimented with iPads to control I, I like products the, via IR as yeah, an infrared. I like the um, the iPad as a user interface between yourself and your AV equipment. Um, it gives you a lot of flexibility, gives you a nice graphical interface. It's big. It's nice and big. It's quite legible. Um, it's hard. Hard in... There's no hard buttons. <laughs> there's a hard button. There is a hard one. Actually, though, I have seen or have used the iPad in certain applications with um, Control 4. Mm. And you use the volume on the side as you normally use the volume on your iPad, and it does turn the volume up and down, which I thought was wow, good trick. You didn't have to put a button on there. The good thing is it only takes about five minutes to find those buttons on the side. <laughs> you feel your way around the exterior oh, you, you of the device. You get used to it. Well, um, if you use them, you probably would know where they are, but I never use them because I don't play anything on the iPad. I just use oh, it don't as a remote control. Did you know if you press and hold the volume down, it goes to mute straight away? You didn't know that, did you? I do now. Yep. See, that's what this broadcast... Broadcast. Well, is. certain systems will do that feature, and I find that's quite good because mm. you can, rather than wait for the volume to come down, you can press and hold and it's it's muted. That's a good idea. I mean, in fact, I would go as far to say um, that, I mean, like a lot of systems have a mute button, but uh, when you think about it... In fact, that's a classic Apple trait, is that they think laterally and they they... It works. What can I say? I'm not. I'm, my vocabulary is uh, has departed. Departed. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's intuitive. It's sort of so you hold it down for what more than say a second and a half. Yeah, and it it just goes to mute rather than waiting for the volume to decrease. It just yep. choop, it's there, which is good because if you had it flat out and you wanted to get it down to zero, how long would it take? A second and three quarters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um. So yeah, I I, I find it quite good as a. User interface. Um, For what? Controlling mainly home theatre environment. It works good. Using what? How do you how do you make it do that? Oh, well... Other than networked products, which I've done, you just... If you Ethernet your, uh, say, your Samsung DVD slash Blu-ray player... Yes. ...to your network, and your, uh, and your, of course, your iPad's on that network, you can download a Samsung app for Nix and... Um, Control your Blu-ray player, which I've done. Works yep. well. Yep. And obviously, I control, add, alert, add, coming. Control the name Unity range with the Endstream name app very yes. successfully for music streaming, but also changing inputs, uh, changing radio station, turn the volume up and down, etc., etc. It's extremely good. So, yeah, a lot of the manufacturers... Never touch the original remote ever again. Yeah, a lot of the manufacturers have got their own application. But you're taking, you're taking it beyond that. Into the automated... Part of the automated and also what controlling components that otherwise are only controlled via infrared rather than via a network connection. Yes. Yes. So you need a box of tricks. Yep. That hangs onto your network. Is that a brand? Well, there's a few of them out there. Oh, so box of tricks is not a brand. Box of tricks is not a brand. No. <laughs> um, we've got. Well, I have used I knew a girl. Control Four. They have a box. Mm-hmm. Um, Do they? Numerous boxes. <laughs> Um, there's uh, push. They have a box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, on controls is the latest one. Pull, pull mm. on the ball. No pull. That's an, the opposition to push, oh, push. presumably. <laughs> yeah, that might be a better brand name than push. Well, um, pull's got more of a ring to it. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a few actually, and the the one that I that I do like. Is a free app, um, remote from just, Apple. Just called Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Called remote from Apple. Yeah, I keep that having works. clients tell me about that. Of course, I have no interest because I don't have Apple things. But that controls what Apple TV is. Apple it? TV, yeah, cool. So that's actually that's a lie since I'm quoting on a job using that at the moment. But um, the client already had it actually on their uh, iPhone. Worked really well. It works pretty good, doesn't it? It's not. Um, it's simple. It probably could be better, maybe, but it works. Um, yeah, no, it works really well. I, but tried, it's not an automated product. It, it's just a control of Apple TV and your music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and videos and photos. And videos, yeah, yeah. yeah. So with the other That's control... It's called the, Remote. It's just called Remote. Apple Remote? No, just called Remote. Type it into your App Store, Remote. I suppose that's the good thing when you own the app store. You get to you get just the good get names. To, yeah, get the good names. You get yeah. the good names straight off, don't you? Mm. <laughs> yep. Actually, talking about apps, yes, I really want someone to come up with an application where you can use your iPhone with the built-in camera and see infrared light or infrared in- interference, actually. Mm. <laughs> I think that would be a really good app. Don't you do that? What do you mean? 
Well, you know how you test a remote control. Yeah, this is yeah, a yeah. trade secret for those people. Well, who don't it's know. not much of a trade secret. I think everyone knows it, but for people who don't, yeah, CCD-based cameras pick up infrared. Infrared. So you point your remote control at your CMOS cameras do it as well. Yeah, I yeah. at your um, camera in your phone, mm. and you can see the light coming out of your remote control. Mm. To know whether it works or not. Yeah, which mm. normally, if you look at it with your naked eye, you can't see it. Well, I can, but then I'm a robot. <laughs> it's one of your special skills. <laughs> <laughs> that, I suppose that's trade secret number one for the last five minutes. We should throw in another one. Since yeah. this, this is Keith and Andrew on Inside AV. <laughs> wank, wank. Um, will I edit the wank, wank out or leave that in? I don't know. No, keep going. So you... Didn't you like my trade secret? I thought that was a good trade secret. I mean... It is a good trade... It's an excellent trade secret, but I think half the people out there know it. It's been done to death on YouTube or something, probably. I don't know. Oh, it probably has by now, yeah. yeah. We should come out with a really juicy trade secret. Fire away. Uh, I'll come back to you. You keep going on. While you're rambling on, quite interestingly, about controlling infrared equipment, such as CD players, home theatre receivers, etc., via an iPad and a box of tricks... Yep. Okay, so the only thing that really is missing well one thing you've got to assume though if you've already got an ipad you're going to have a wi-fi network in your house um but if you're going to get what is a wi-fi network in its most is in its most basic form basically access to your network and your uh, and also to the internet what is your network in its most basic most basic form in your network is what i'm getting at is it, what is the equipment? Is it not no more than a Wi-Fi modem router for sixty-nine dollars? Yes and no. Okay. Yes. Okay. In what way is it not? Well, yes, it is in a basic form, um, but in these days or times, um, a lot of the equipment needs to be on the network. So, the days of a four-port router with a Wi-Fi antenna attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's your start, and you look. You really got to consider that if you're going to utilize all the features from all the products that can access the internet mm-hmm. or ac- access your internal network. Um, you know, quality products, quality commercial grade routers, switches. Um, so, you know. You could. So, so an, an all-encompassing term, home network, includes perhaps various networking components at various parts of the house, connected together, perhaps more with Ethernet cable with, and yes. wireless. Yep. But there's a wireless component to it, because all routers now seem to have a wireless router built in, rather than the old days where you had to buy a separate box and plug it into your router. Yes. And I suppose my point is, for the listener, is that when we say your wireless or your network, wireless network or your network, all we really mean is perhaps a couple of hundred bucks or so worth of equipment and a bit of cable and so forth. Obviously, if you're pre-wiring a new home, you would run a bunch of Cat5 or Cat6 yes. cable between various rooms, bring it back to a home point, plug it into a eight-port switcher. Switch. Router switch thing in your bob. Yeah, we were talking about this the other day about how many network cables you should have behind your TV? Mm, more than one. <laughs> well, you have a switch behind your TV, presumably, because you'll need one. 
Yeah. But is, but is a switch the way to go? I've mm. had some issues in the store with my shop network where I use a switch because I've got multiple devices in a rack hang, gear. Hanging off the... And sometimes there's a bit of, I don't know, a bit of flakiness with some products don't like the switch. And you plug it in direct to the router that's back in another part of the building. Works much better. Yeah. So tell me about that, Keith. Look, I if, if you can, I would have a, your um, individual cables yep. for individual pieces of equipment that require connection to the network. So you would have your switch back in a central spot rather than, yeah, run the one network cable and then put, a, say, a four-port or even an eight-port switch. At, okay, so what you're saying is don't try to squeeze four down a small pipe. No, that's right. And it's is that not, about bandwidth or is that about just conflicts or what? It's probably more conflicts than anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's, I mean, it can get you out of trouble, particularly... Uh, well, as long as you're not trying to use multiple devices or multiple devices aren't trying to access the internet or your network at the same time. Mm-hmm. But if we come back to our iPad as a control device... Why not, since that's what we started we off started with? We started with, yeah. yeah. Um, you then get um, performance issues if you're trying to you know, have an all-on or all-off mm-hmm. and they're all on the same switch... Um, or they're all hanging off one cable that's on the one switch. Oh, okay. So, so I, if you're controlling, what you're trying to say is, if you've got a macro in a in a in a remote that you've programmed, which in this case is the iPad, yep, the all off command where it sends out a series of commands to each component in the rack to turn everything off. The off command goes to each component. If you have them. Or hanging on one switch, the switch gets clogged, and you need to clean it out, blow it out with the compressor. No, what? Correct. <laughs> no, you don't. You just. Um, it's probably not a huge thing, but you you're putting um, delays into the into mm-hmm. the command, mm-hmm. or the switch is adding a delay into the into your um, uh, macro. Yes. So mainly. If we would do a, an all-on for your system, you may miss an op- well, not an opportunity, but miss a command. Ooh, we don't want that. No, no off. So, I mean, I mean that's where you want people want things instantaneously. Mm. Uh, remember the day you used to pick up a remote, turn the TV on, pick up a remote, turn the DVD player on, pick up a remote, turn the amp on. Mm. Um, you mean tonight <laughs> when I go home? <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> what? Why is our systems at home? I had a really good system at home. And when I ran out of Prontos, thanks, Phillips, I stole the one from home. Oh. And now you back to your OEM remotes. I don't really want to admit to that. I'll tell you really what I'm doing with my remotes at home. I'm waiting for the iPad solution to mature. Which is why I asked you about it, because I want to know, without me doing the research, whether we're at the stage where you can program an iPad to work like, say, a 9600 Pronto, which was a tablet thing with, uh, you know, only a little screen, but but big enough, and such a good remote. You know, not cheap, but you could, it really punched out a a macro successfully, and every time, in combination with a rack-mounted box of tricks that you needed to 
spit out the IR or the serial commands, but the point is, really worked well. And, um, you know, how close are we to that on the basis that that remote that I referred to was $2,400 or whatever, and an iPad's, you know, I don't know, is it an extra $3 with a bucket of chips at KFC or something like that? They're almost free. Well, you're starting, what, at the $600 mark? Going up? 570 550 something Yeah, like yeah. Um, I think we're pretty close. Um, the products that we had... a play with and had a go at um we've had a fair bit of success mm-hmm. um good enough to actually leave at a customer and work for more than a week uh yes yeah say. but we have had actually most of our issues have really come back to the wi-fi come back to um you know speed and control via Lat- the wi-fi latency issues on the yeah wi-fi. latency issues caused or, by them running other wireless traffic in the yeah network. other demands that are already on the network so um it's it's all good when you're the only one in the house and you're pressing the buttons and it's, so is that the only issue you've had because that can be resolved can you not run two wireless networks well yeah that we did that and yep. that that didn't make a huge difference it didn't it did. It did. It did. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Okay. Yep. All right. The only issue with that is um, with some of the systems, we may be controlling the media room and also the the listening room. Yes. And as you walk between the two, you, you physically have to change Uh-oh. onto a different network, which customers don't like doing. Put an iPad in each room, same as you do with the Pronto. Well, yeah, True. This is, isn't this weird, is that you used to be able to sell, and I've done this a few times, I've sold three and four and five Prontos into one house. No problems. And then... 1500 bucks each. Now, oh no, I want to take my iPad from... I'm sorry, I'm not having a shot at customers here, but the human race is odd at times. Yeah. Oh no, I just, no, I just want to take it with me, because it, it's more of a personal belonging. It's got your personal shit in it. So... If you're going to treat it as a remote, let's treat it as a... Let's, if you're going to use it as a remote, let's treat it as a remote. Yes. Leave it in the bloody home cinema room, sitting on the table, or oh, this is the problem, sitting where so it's charging. Yeah, well, a good dock's always nice, mm. something that holds it up upright so that you can use it more as a as a remote control. Rather. I, like, uh, I like my Cambridge digital dock. Yeah. What do you use? Um... A lot of the automation products that we use already have docks or docking stations. Okay. Um, not a... And they obviously take an iPad. Yeah, yeah. Because we are talking iPads here. I mean, I, 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 my eyesight is a long way beyond, <laughs> as in failing, beyond using an iPhone or an iTouch as a remote. Not, no, no good for me. I just see yeah, fuzz. It's a bit, well, it's a bit compact. Mm-hmm. Probably, and my fingers are not pointy enough. No, and actually, that's where I'm thinking the Android market's going to kick in. I've heard of this Android business. Yeah, because they have smaller screens than your iPad, but bigger than the iPod or the iPhone. Was it Android not so long ago? Not some kind of mechanical human device? Yes, <laughs> maybe it's, it's probably an acronym for something too. They probably would have thought it up. I did read a story about how that started not long ago in Wired magazine, and uh, I've forgotten everything that I read <laughs> in that article. article. Yeah. 
moving good right magazine. along. It is a good magazine. I only ever buy it at airports, though. Because <laughs> you've got that... time to sit down and yeah, read it. I, I, I buy it. I sit on a plane for a while. I read it. I might as well leave it in the back of the seat of the aircraft because you I can... never look at them ever again. Don't it's you? good aircraft reading, though. I like it. Not long enough for a proper flight, but certainly between, I don't know, here in and Brisbane. US. <laughs> here in Brisbane. <laughs> oh, I'm talking about, you know, my private uh, jet. It takes 12 minutes. Um, no, it, it, that's a good mag, really good mag. Lots of interesting stuff. Do we get, like, money from Wired Magazine for no. promoting their no. very no, good no. product? It's not even that easy to buy. I'm not sure my local news agents even got it's it. It's hard to get here, isn't it? It's yeah. not, you don't see it in all, the sto- in all the news agents. It's probably... And it's usually a few months behind, too, isn't it? Is, uh, look, uh, seriously, I, I doubt I've ever bought one at a normal news agency. Yep. I would have about a half a dozen or so issues at home lying around somewhere, all bought at airports. So, yeah, that's a bit of useless information. Um, so back to the iPad as a remote control mm-hmm. for your AV equipment, mm-hmm. your home theatre or your listening environment. Um, yes. Bottom line? Works. Works. Looks good. Intuitive mm-hmm. um, because it uses a lot of the Apple. What did someone tell me the other day? Apple Iskeek or Apple Skeek? Oh, Skeek? Can't, can't think of the word. Apple-esque? 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 Yep. <laughs> Some word, anyhow. Apple... Oh, I don't know. I can't think of it. Doesn't matter. So, some of the Apple traits mm. that everyone Much likes. Easier. Yeah. Yeah, they do know how to put an interface together, but wow, they've been doing it way longer than anyone else. You know, the first computer I ever bought with my own money... Yes. Um, Because I'm a PC kind of guy, really, as in politically correct, not uh, a personal computer, which it it, it sort of... That's an old term, I suppose. I like Windows machines. I think there was a time when you said you were either a PC or a Mac guy. Yes. I started off as a Mac guy. I had an SE30, and I bought it cheap because they were about eight, nine grand... And um, if you had it now, oh, I, don't, probably... I don't even know. I think I sold. Oh, anyway, I'll finish the story. But I got it cheap because the guy who owned the Apple store or Mac store, as it was then, um, they went through a Mac phase. They started off as Apple, then they became Mac. Yes, as in Macintosh. And now it's Apple Mac, or is it just Apple again, or what? Apple. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I should really stop calling them Macs. Aren't they cool? Mac Air? Mac, what? Hang on. MacBook. MacBook. Anyhow, whatever. Look, the point is, I bought this SE30. It was one of the ones, it looked like a a classic. It was basically the model after the 2E or whatever the first dog thing was. The 2E. Oh, you're going right back. Yep. Oh, I'm talking 1990. So I... um, I ended up handing over about five or six grand for this thing because I bought it because the, the store owner won it in a sales competition and he used it for himself for a while and I think he was a bit of a scoundrel. Poor bastard's <laughs> probably dead now. He's a good bloke, actually. But he, uh, this was a while ago. Anyhow, the point is he, um, he uh, sold me this thing 
actually, I think it was forty-eight fifty. It was under five grand. It was a bit of a bargain, and it 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 um, had a like a nine-inch uh, mono screen, and I think. Unlike the Apple Classic, it had a hard drive built in. And if I remember correctly, a 20 meg hard drive. Holy moly. And, um, yeah. But it, it worked and it had a GUI. And at the time, if you wanted to buy a Windows box uh, from some of the fine establishments that were around then, like Osborne Computing, you looked at DOS, DOS prompts and... Oh, ASCII pictures and shit. I mean, what rubbish. Mac was so far ahead then, and I suppose they are now. And it was dearer then, and it's dearer now, and nothing's changed. True. I don't know what my point of my story was, but anyhow, that's where I started. But later on in the 90s, I realised that uh, the lack of compatible uh, engineering-type software that I needed for my work meant a shift to PC. Which, frankly, was a revelation, you know, because PCs by that stage had actually, you know, had colour screens and stuff and far better for downloading um, and viewing images of um, circuit diagrams and yes. stuff. Yep. Yeah, and young ladies with no clothes on. Um, so, where were we up to? Apple, Mac, and iPads. As controls, I think the bottom oh, you didn't like the iPhone as or an iPod as a control. Well, I can't see the screen, but you know one thing, and I, and I'm sure I'm going to get one, and I hope it comes here mm. to Australia because I know it's not here yet. Um, I did find this product; it's in Germany. Mm-hmm. Should probably ring them up. Is it like on holidays there, or is it? No, that's where they make it. Oh, okay. It's got a funny name, um, Vermut, mm-hmm. as in Vu. And then cut cut the rig off the remote. So it's Vu Moot. Well, how's it spelled? V double O M O T E. Mm. I probably didn't say it right. Uh, well, in German, that would be. <laughs> how's it spelled? V V double O M O T E M O T E. Vermut. Vermut. <laughs> well, Volkswagen is Volkswagen, so the V becomes an F, <laughs> the M becomes a, I don't bloody know, I might have been there, but I've no idea how to speak the language, yep. moving right along. So, so what does it do? It turns your iPod Touch, which which you would mainly use it for an iPod Touch, mm. I don't think you'd stick your iPhone into it. Into an infrared device, so it becomes a remote oh, control. Yeah, that's not I like that. But it, it comes and makes it a cradle, so it makes it actually bigger than than. Um, don't like it. Don't like it. No. So, it's, but the, what the reason why I don't like it? It's infrared. What use is infrared? You got to point it. Well, yeah. how do you run a macro? <laughs> With a steady hand. Yeah, you have to keep <laughs> pointing it. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to spray it around the room and hope it hits the projector, the TV, the receiver that's over in the other corner, and the DVD player, and the Blu-ray player, and the Xbox, and the PVR. Yeah, and yeah. The that's where you get it. Red kit, tape with deck, it. the Grammo tape deck. <laughs> so, well, it's an interesting product though to take your touch screen and then turn it back into a sort of going backwards, isn't mm, it? No, I don't like that. Yeah. Mm. 
No. Has it got valves in it? <laughs> it's got a big on and off switch. Has it? Power it up. <laughs> uh, I think we've. I think we've blown enough time on this segment. Hi guys, we're back again. The Inside AV. Andrew, I believe you have another trade secret. Or oh, no. trade question. No, it's more of a. Um, you know, you get people um, concerned that. A giant pair of speakers needs a giant amplifier to drive it. And of course it doesn't. Oh, okay. So well, this could be called a trade myth. A trade it's myth. not a trade myth, it's a, a client myth. Client. So, we're so talking client myths, number what, one. Number one, how much power do you need to drive a pair of speakers? Was that the question? Yeah, they, they were concerned that they had inherited a large pair of speakers but they only had a small amplifier. And so, therefore, they were concerned that that small amplifier wouldn't drive the large speakers. Okay. So maybe what we could do is spend two seconds on the fact that the larger the speaker, the easier they are to drive. Yes. Counterintuitive, perhaps, but true. You could have sold him a big amplifier. Oh, I did. Oh, okay. I didn't tell him about this myth. <laughs> so <laughs> are bigger speakers more efficient? Hmm. They are. I like to use the word sensitive. Sensitive, yes. Uh, Which is an efficiency rating. Yeah, I know. I've always wondered about that, but there was uh, talk some time ago, I don't know, in the popular technical audio engineering press that sensitive was the correct word and efficient was an incorrect term to describe speaker efficiency. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But since then, I've tried to um, say sensitivity. Okay. Which actually, if you read the specs on most things, is actually what they they call it. They don't call it efficiency. Oh, yeah, they call it in the specs sensitivity. Yeah. But it sort of relates back to how efficient the speaker mm. is with the power that it's given. Of course it does. Yeah, I mean, it's a silly thing to say. The thing is, it's the sensitivity implies a certain specification, which is, you know, amount of dB for one watt, one metre. In other words, how much sound you generate at one metre away from the speaker in decibels with one watt fed into the speaker. Yes. I know we're talking super basics here for the uh, for the technical folk that are listening, but um, it has been said to us in, 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 in the context of critique of previous episodes by various people that you and I know as friends that... We're talking over their heads. Oh, yeah. We're not really, are we? Well, we're not talking over what we perceive to be our correct, not correct, but our likely demographic. You know what we need. Lab assistant. No, new friends. <laughs> oh. oh, no, that's not, that's unkind. <laughs> In a previous episode, we spoke of our lab assistant that we were going to obtain to help us with our HDMI lead yes. experiments. How's the rig going? Oh, it's coming. The rig's done. Cool. Lab assistant. Working on it. Yeah, well, I went down the beach on the weekend. I found a few few likely candidates, but anyhow, after I got out of uh, the lock-up, I um, I decided there would be a better way of employing one. Um, uh, What? Yeah, so, bottom line is, large speakers are likely to be 90 dB sensitive. 
as a general rule of thumb, and small oh, speakers are likely to be 85. Oh, we're talking hi-fi speakers. I know in the pro range. Oh, no. pro range talking high-90s. Yeah. No, let's talk domestic audio since that's what we're primarily about, aren't we? Okay. We're, although we never really covered that, did we? But pro audio, is, pro audio is a whole other industry, so I don't know. I know you do a bit of it. Yeah. Hmm. So maybe we could clarify for for myself and some of the listeners. If you were to run your system, say, for instance, you had 50-watt speak, 50-watt uh, amplifier mm-hmm. per channel mm-hmm. and you had 90 dB sensitivity on your speakers yes and you want it to be louder mm. there's two ways of doing it you mm. get more sensitive speakers yes or more power yes what's the relationship limits. there doubling of power is 3db which is not much is it no it's not much when I was a kiddie, 3 dB was regarded as the minimum audible difference between two levels. We know that to be now bollocks, so I don't know why that was ever the case. Oh, but, is it? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was taught to. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not true, is it? I mean, 1 dB is mm, slightly discernible. Audiophiles could probably hear 0.1 of a dB. They're brilliant. I love 50% them. of the audience just switched off. <laughs> um, the sarcasm was not very efficiently masked. Um, so basically... Yes. We'll cut it down to basics because, I mean, you if you get more efficient speakers on a 50-watt amplifier than another pair of speakers, mm-hmm. or sensitivity, sorry, yeah. they're going to sound louder. Hmm. That's pretty cool. I would say... For a huge difference in apparent volume, you'd be aiming for 6 dB. 6 oh. dB is worth having. You yep. go from an 84 dB speaker to a 90 dB speaker, you go, wow, the volume's really gone up. I want to say really. We're not, still not talking like twisting the volume control around type of equivalent. But if your system's loud but you want it louder, you're either going to have to have four times as much power, which is 6 dB, in other words, go to a 200-watt amp, and then your problem is that you're going to need speakers that can handle 200 watts and still play clean, which very rarely will hi-fi speakers do that, no matter what the specification says. 200 watts RMS out of an amp into a hi-fi speaker is piles of power. You never need that much, really, not in a domestic situation. True. So an engineer in a PA situation would go, well, we've got a 92 dB at the back of the room. We've got a pile of speakers worth this. We've got a pile of amps worth that. How are we going to get it to be 3 dB louder? We have to double the power of every amplifier. To achieve that, Mm. yes. There's just no way around it. So obviously it's a very exponential thing, isn't it? Because if you've got 10 amps in the rack and they all suddenly need to be twice as powerful... It's quite an expense just to get 3dB at the back of the room. That it would be a big expense. The same applies to home stereo. You go, well, we can't just have four. We can't have a 200-watt amp instead of a 50. So maybe we need bigger speakers because bigger speakers are more sensitive. But they're not harder to drive. Although... Yes. There is an issue with bigger speakers having more drive units in them and more complex crossovers and then in turn potentially more complex impedance curves and perhaps impedance curves that dip quite low in impedance hence they become hard to drive and the amp gets stressed out so what you gain in sensitivity you lose in the amp 
more readily sounding dirty or clipping or being upset and running hot because of the difficulty of the load. In other words, there's all sorts of phase issues, etc. Anyhow, we don't want to get into this any no, deeper deep. than... The point is, there's no such thing as a free lunch, folks. What's your take on this, Keith? You got a story? I bet you do. On speakers and amplifiers? And customers who want it loud. Oh, yeah, I always get the request. Um, I want the best. I want the biggest and the best. And they're always, well, looking for something that's going to cost them $200 when they really... They're not going to get that. <laughs> Two hundred dollars. Is this for the uh, connectors on the end of the cable, or is this yeah. for what? Uh, it's install. Well, maybe you can clarify it for me. With installing speakers in ceilings, mm. in what they call an infinite baffle mm-hmm. arrangement, yes, you seem to be able to get good sound volume nowadays out of an in-ceiling speaker whereas before you really needed to put them in an enclosure or a box that they were built for well I think what's happened there is that the engineers if in fact there are engineers designing in wall speakers and not just the marketing department I would guess that um, they are using drivers that have appropriate compliance and suspension design to suit an infinite baffle Yep. therefore you can drive them quite hard without them bottoming out, and in turn their base loading uh, requirements are those of an infinite baffle, so the base is quite articulate and not all loose and flappy, or boomy as some people would say. Yeah, boomy, yeah. Boomy's not necessarily... No, well, let's not get bogged down. But, no, you know, and you pick up, you pick up probably 3DV, sticking it in a roof. Because you've got that infinite... Because you've got that boundary effect. Yeah. Which is another thing we could talk about very briefly while we're on the subject of decibels, is if you put a speaker on the floor instead of free space, you just picked up 3dB. Yes. In the base, not in the not in the mid and treble necessarily, because of the relatively long wavelengths of the base. If you put that speaker then on the floor and back against the back wall, you've probably picked up another 3dB. And then if you put it in the corner, you've picked up another 3dB. So we're sticking a... And this, is, of course, lends itself to subwoofer placement. Yes. If you put a subwoofer in a corner versus sticking it, as some people use it as a... Oh, no, no one does now, but people used to use subwoofers as coffee tables. Well, it could be a coffee table. It would look fine. Yeah, it may look fine, but you're losing nine decibels. Now, if you start relating that to amplifier power, see, 10 dB, folks, is a factor of 10. If you want 10 dB more sound and you've got a 10-watt amplifier, you need a 100-watt amplifier. To get that difference. Mm. So if you've got a 100-watt amplifier and you want 10 dB more, you need a 1,000-watt amp. So, once again, your speakers are unlikely to handle it, so you're never going to get it. So don't buy it. Um, so your sub is where is where you can really use that corner loading effect. And some people will say, and now we're straying a bit, but some people will say, uh, oh, yeah, but if you put it in the corner, it'll get all boomy, it'll accentuate some frequencies, blah, blah, blah. The thing is... Because you're asking the subwoofer to work so less hard, Is that a, yeah. it sounds better. Yes. Because you don't have to drive the backside out of it to get 90 dB or whatever, which is some kind of you know THX reference in-room level. Magic number. Yep. Um, you, 
you don't need to drive it anywhere near as hard. So at, at, at its 90 dB, obviously if you set it in the middle of the room to get 90 dB, when you put it in the core, or 81 dB, I should say, mm. free space, that's not quite true because on the floor it's probably already getting a few dB. So let's say 84 dB when it's used as a coffee table, then you bang it in the corner, you've got 90 dB. That's a for free. A free gain. It's 6 dB for free, which is four times your amplifier power. That's a bargain if I've ever heard of one. So there you go. Handy hints for the day, folks. Subwoofer placement, stick it in the corner and get free bass. We're going to upset all the purists so that one, one third of a wavelength from yep. them. We'll talk about that in another podcast. Let's whet your appetite, Keith. I mean, yeah, Keith, <laughs> whet the listener's appetite with what you're going to talk about with your thirds rule while I squeak from my beer. Oh, well. <laughs> it's empty. Empty. I need another. Um. I'm not going to go there because I don't... Well, I have sat down and read most of it, but I am a fan of loading the speaker, the subwoofer, sticking it in the corner. Yeah, I've tried it both ways. You're miles ahead putting it in the corner. And the other point of... I'm a very practical person installation-wise. You're not going to be able to stick the subwoofer exactly where you want it because all the AV equipment's sitting there. Yeah, well, I suppose we've got two kinds of listeners. Um, we've got four listeners now, so two of them are probably... Um, <laughs> engineers, engineers, are they? Engineers, and the other two is the They've lady just turned of the house. Off. No. I don't know. What I'm getting at is that if your system, if you don't care about aesthetics, buy two subwoofers, put one in the corner, put one maybe a third of the way into the room, you will get more even base distribution throughout the room. Alternatively, um, uh, spend half as much money and get bloody near the same performance as long as you're sitting in the sweet spot, which is really base distribution modes is something we need to talk about a different time. We could go on for hours. Hours. In fact, this brings us to a close of this episode. Yes, of number five. Five. And I would like to receive email. Would you like to run through the spiel, Keith? Okay. So you can email us at the show at inside dash av.com you can also do andrew at inside dash av.com uh, no you can't i'm taken you're taken you're not going to be able to do me <laughs> don't you give out my also... email just give out the show email oh okay show at a inside av hyphen yeah just do the show we both get to read it then what did i just say show at inside hyphen av.com we are rambling we really should Close this sucker down. We'll be back with episode six. Thanks, guys. Bye.